A bad day doesn't bother me now because a bad day is just a bad day. I can regulate within that 24 hour period. And even if the dark thoughts seep in and they get me for a day, they don't get me for much longer. Hello, you are tuning in to the Capsule in Conversation podcast dedicated to women and their well-being. I'm Natalie Anderson and today I'm joined by broadcaster and beauty editor Emma Guns to talk the future of beauty, the end of wellness and leaning into authenticity. So sit back, relax and get ready to join us in our conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've all had a great week. It is my great pleasure to welcome my special guest today, as for the last 20 years, she has been one of the most trusted voices in health and beauty. For a decade, she notably held the role of OK Magazine's resident beauty editor, has written for Red, Stylist, The Telegraph, and one of my personal favourites, Zest Magazine, and has acted as a consultant for numerous global beauty brands. However, in more recent years, it's her hugely successful podcast, The Emma Gunn Show, that has cemented her status as an authority in the beauty and well-being arena, amassing over 15 million global downloads and welcoming guests including Sarah Jessica Parker, Dax Shepard and Caroline Hirons. She is at the forefront of cutting through the beauty BS, candidly discussing products, trends and her own personal journey with the ever-changing standards in beauty. It's my great pleasure to welcome her today it's the brilliant Emma Guns hi Emma hi Natalie how are you (laughs) I'm very well thank you it's so it's so glorious to be on the receiving end of uh, such a wonderful introduction normally I'm the one who's (laughs) effusively sort of gassing somebody up it's quite nice to be gassed up thank you I love that (laughs) no good I'm glad well this is it because like and also when you're a, a podcaster interviewing another podcaster you're a bit like oh you know, you get a little bit of the nerves. Um, and as I was researching you, though, there were several words to me that kept popping up, which I think we'll delve into a little later. But there were things like resilience, honesty and acceptance. Um, and I know you've been quite, you know, you've been on quite a journey. But if we go back to the very, very beginning, I'd just love to know where your interest in beauty started. Was it like a film, a product, a person? I think it was sort of a, a two-pronged thing, if you like. So I had I I did not navigate my teenage years with grace or ease. I did not blossom like a swan. I, I kind of had a very similar puberty to to boys in that I just sort of got wider, spottier, and hairier, which isn't really the journey that a, a young lady in the making wants to navigate. And so for me, I clung to beauty pages of magazines because. I I had concerns and issues that perhaps my peers didn't, but they were spoken about in the pages of titles that were pitched at people who were a lot older than I was. And I just, there was something very alluring and very enticing about it. And equally, I thought, well, if I use all of these things, then maybe I'll be like the other girls. So there was that side of things. And then I also think... uh, when I was growing up, a lot of the kind of really dynamic, incredible women in film were somehow connected to the media in some way. Um, 
I mean, even Lois Lane's a great example. Lois Lane was a journalist who then went out with Superman and Clark Kent. But I mean, and it just, <laughs> I just think I thought, well, that's what a powerful dynamic woman does. A powerful dynamic woman breaks stories and is in the media and is connected and works at a newspaper or a magazine. And that just kept getting confirmed with all of the films that you can think. You think about all of the films that yeah, we definitely. love. Like even, I know I was already at magazines at this point but I think how to lose a guy in 10 days made made working on a magazine look so glamorous and 13 going on 30 she was a magazine editor and so I think that landscape was always depicted in television programs even the even something much less sort of glamorous and shiny if you like like press gang when I was growing up yeah I mean that, that was my show? yeah that was one of my absolute favorites and I loved that show um and again, again it was about student newspaper wasn't it and I remember when we interviewed um when I sat down with Joe Elvin she said a similar thing she said um well I lived kind of out in the in the back streets of uh Sydney wherever she was and she said and it was the way that you met pop stars she was like so somebody that was quite androgynous like me that wanted to be a bit more glamorous you know that's kind of what you read magazines and that's how you met your pop star idols so it's a similar kind of thing totally and I remember even watching the big breakfast for people who who were listening in the UK who who perhaps remember the big breakfast which is one of the greatest breakfast television shows of all time and they used to have the news on at like 10 to the hour and at the end of that news section, they would have the showbiz element. And I just wanted to reach through the television and be at the L Style Awards or be at the MTV Music Awards. And I just thought that that world looked really, <laughs> looked really safe and fun and where I should be. So I was like, well, let's go there then. And actually, if like realistically, I don't think I ever plotted a path that deliberately. But I get, but there were there were some happy accidents on the, along the way, and I did find myself at the L Style Awards and the MTV Music Awards. Weirdly, but this is the thing; it's like as well because we grew up in the same era, and it. it pop culture then you know it, it wasn't as easily accessible as it was kind of um through social media we didn't have that it was television it was magazines that for us was our way into this kind of glamorous lifestyle into you know like as you, like you said you know actually getting to go onto a red carpet the only way you could do that was work your way up which you did you know you did do all of that and you kind of managed to establish yourself as a writer and then we like if we fast forward ended up being you know I remember you being uh, OK Magazine's beauty editor because those were the days when it was like OK was like the celebrity weddings the big massive interviews the the front pages and how was that for you as a as a, a time really because it was would it have been like the the 2000s that would have been when it again pop culture was still away from social media yeah, so my tenure at OK Magazine was 31st of March 2003 to July, uh, June, sorry, 2012. So it was very much the noughties, which is why the whole, um, the resurgence of like the Beckham documentary and the Robbie Williams documentary and all of this nostalgia, like S Club are on tour at the moment. <laughs> I'm finding it sort of comforting and weird and, and sort of oh gosh look at how much time has gone because that really was my era um and it was it was amazing but you're right there was a there was a distance now when I think about sort of how the landscape was then it just wouldn't exist today and I guess I was actually chatting to another magazine editor she had worked on glamour 
for a long time and we had pretty much the same sort of era and we were saying how god we're so lucky we are so lucky that we got to be on magazines at that time I'm sure each era I'm sure it's all been wonderful but when I look back I think wow that was really amazing because some really stuff that hadn't ever happened before was happening like reality tv was happening and we were sort of riding that wave and X Factor and Pop Stars, The Rivals, all of those sorts of things, which are so new and exciting. We kind of got to be, especially as a fan, which is what I ultimately am, and a consumer of this content, I got to be up close and personal to all of these incredible things that were were really blooming. So I feel very, very privileged to have had that experience. And as well, like I was saying to my husband the other day, those things had a staying power, a value, like everything at the minute feels so saturated that nothing stays, like nothing sticks. And, you know, going back to like the revival of the 90s and the the 2000s and this generation of young people kind of latching onto it because you kind of think, where has it gone from there really? Like what is new? There doesn't seem to be anything that's kind of new, but obviously with these, you know, trends and kind of this nostalgia, there's a darker side to it, I think. As in, you know, if you look at kind of the 90s and the 2000s and the particularly the shaping of, of women and the narrative around women and women against women and women's bodies, you know, when people are now going on Instagram and they're looking for fashion trends of the 2000s, they're being shown images of very, very thin women because that was the ideal of the time. Now, I find that concerning. I, As a person that grew up through that era and navigated that era, which was very difficult, I find it very difficult now seeing all that imagery again. How how do you feel about it? Was it is it is it difficult for you because you were kind of on the receiving end of it in a way that because you were in the public eye? I think it's it was difficult for me in the sense that it was you know, we were all kind of led down a diet culture, kind of right, you know, counting calories and every magazine was all about food and controlling food and all of that kind of thing that as a young person, you're, you develop kind of just the conversation becomes all about food and all about kind of the way you look. Whereas fast forward, you know, now I'm a woman in my 40s. I approach it so differently. Like my attitude to to food and to to well being is completely different to what it was back then. But it's I think it was because of how much we were being fed through through you know culture and magazines and everything else. And and when you see now all of those things coming back, you're like, oh, I hope that's not trendy again because I really don't like want to see any of that again. I'm kind of comfortable. Yeah, one would hope that it has evolved and that it has picked up that even by revisiting it when it exists now, it has picked up some of what's happened since. Because I distinctly remember, as well as the beauty pages, I would do the fashion shoots. So I would be up in Manchester and Liverpool, up and down on the trains every week doing, it was Coronation Street, Emmerdale, and it, there were there were some others, Hollyoaks, things like that. And one of the, and it was, and I don't think there was a set that I ever went on where anyone really ate and where we didn't talk about it and where 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 we weren't talking about what kind of clothes size that person was wearing but i hope now shoots are slightly different like if even though we are picking up a little bit i do think it has moved on and hopefully what we see now is actually we didn't stand a chance against the influence of diet culture it was everywhere and even as someone who was a fashion editor i have to be really honest who did i choose for shoots 
it was just this unspoken thing of, and if somebody suddenly looked a bit more glamorous or somebody looked like they had dropped weight, that would be reason enough to pick up the phone to the press office and say, hey, do they want to do a shoot? So it was awful. It was awful. But, and I don't even, I think the thing that's difficult for us perhaps is how complicit we are. We are, we were in something that we realized was really damaging. I think as well, though, that again, the thing that concerns me, though, is for a younger generation, although I do think the younger women nowadays are so much more savvy and they do have more open discussion and they do challenge and they do push back. But I think like with the rise in Ozempic, for example, that kind of dialogue has kind of freaked me out a bit again going no like we're not doing this like I don't want to see women or or anyone kind of taking a fast drug that to to achieve a beauty ideal because we have moved so forward haven't we in terms of body diversity and that is something that we should be celebrating but it is hard when you're I suppose like when you have a platform to try and push back against things and and equally challenge things that where you think oh that could be unhealthy though you know I was watching one of the podcasts that you did with um a, a fantastic doctor which was binge over brain oh uh, that book. Catherine Hansen brain That's over right. binge yeah brain over binge and she was talking about how different bodies obviously need to be healthy in their own right and it's very much we do have to kind of keep pushing that don't we as opposed to slipping backwards Without a shadow of a doubt. And I think, yes, I think the biggest thing is to connect with how you feel. That That's, that's. I mean, I've been on my own body image journey as any woman our kind of age probably has. But my thing was I was really disconnected from my body. And so the progress I was have been able to make has been by listening to it and not just sort of treating it like a dumpster fire. You know, I'd throw anything into it food wise. I was of that generation as well. Uh, there was no money in media I don't think there was any more either but I lived on canapes and free booze that didn't do me much good (laughs) you know I mean it was great fun but um I was if I really had thought about well how does how does this food make me feel or how does it make me feel when I don't exercise or how do I feel when I exercise I never asked myself those questions I was like how do I get into that size which is a very silly way of kind of uh looking after the machine in which you get to live in. But I think as we mature, and, and again, as our bodies start to change, and it's great now, again, like with podcasts and different platforms, that we're able to have a bit more education around kind of our bodies, and particularly women in our 40s. You know, we do have to think, okay, like you said, the machine, how am I going to fuel this through perimenopause and menopause and how important it is to fuel our bodies it's it's a great thing that we now have all this access isn't it to all this different information it's just there's so much information out there but again it's a great thing and it's a it's a bad thing the best thing about the internet is that we have all the information to our at our fingertips the worst thing about the internet is that we have all of the information at our fingertips and I think what I've definitely noticed particularly with say the conversation around menopause so a few years ago I created loads of podcasts with doctors about perimenopause and menopause really just um really deep diving into those conversations that you wish you could have with your doctor but let's just be honest they don't have the time or resources to be able to really talk you through it so trying to put those conversations on tape so you could kind of even if you knew nothing you would come away from that understanding at the very least like when your cycle starts, when it ends, what happens in between, how it might change, all of those sorts of things, right up to bioidentical hormones and the kind of the appropriate treatment for you should you be feeling X, Y, and Z symptom. 
And then what I've noticed happened is particularly last year and sort of the year before, the conversation around menopause and perimenopause became much louder, lots more people talking about it. And then it felt like it got territorial. And it was like, if you thought this thing, then you hated the people who thought this thing. And if you believed in bioidentical hormones, then you must be angry with the people who believe in body identical hormones. And that, Natalie, is when it becomes really unhelpful because the whole thing is about empowering women, right? Absolutely. And we're not empowering each other if we're arguing about who's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And also the thing as well that really bothers me, and I'm, I, I kind of try and, you know, speak about it as much as I can, is, is the commercialization of it as well. Oh, that really goodness. frustrates me because everything, I don't know about you, but I get sent press releases like daily for different things. And so much of it being like, this cream's for menopause. This is for menopause. This is perimenopause. This, and I'm like, whoa, stop it. Like you're just now trying to trick women, desperate women as well, may I add, like women who are really struggling with the varying symptoms. And now you're trying to give them a, fi a quick fix. And it's so infuriating and we have to try and cut through, don't we? And we, which is what I will love about your podcast is that you do cut through the BS. You do go, right, okay, what about this? And this is this. And you, same as kind of what I'd like to do is that bringing the experts in to say, right, okay, this is really good trusted information and you can trust this because it's so important, isn't it? Especially when women are so vulnerable. It's so important. And I do think the commercialization, you're absolutely completely correct. There are so many products now available, particularly in the beauty space for women going through the menopause. And yet, if you really inter interrogate those formulations, nothing has changed. They've It's just marketeers have understood that menopausal women will spend their money, which their disposable income is probably higher than the most demographic age way, age wise. And so all this, like, it drives me absolutely mad. Everything is for the menopause now, you're absolutely right. And there's only one skincare range I've actually tried recently where I've thought, that's the only one I feel comfortable talking about because I can actually see some benefits, a really beautiful um, range actually, specifically designed for the menopause by Vichy. But it's really clever formulations. So, but one of the things I really love about it is the night cream, when you put it on, it's cooling. So you get into bed and you put it on and you'll suddenly sort of feel this this very pleasant chill on your skin. And I thought, ah, now they've got me there because that's actually, that would be lovely if you are struggling with those hot flashes and you are feeling like you're constantly burning up. That to me is reason enough for me to mention that brand and the and that name and menopause in the same sentence because I feel like there's actually something to be gained from that. Absolutely. And this is again why people come to you because of that trust and because it's important that when we do have a platform that we we don't fall into that trap and we do only discuss the products that either do genuinely work for us or that you can see might work for a friend of yours or somebody that you can say 100% I promise you as an audience that's somebody that's following me that I do have integrity and this does really really work um if we can just you know move back to to, to you personally you obviously went freelance after your time at um, at OK Magazine and worked for various different magazines. But I was reading another piece about you that said, you know, when you were 37, 38, that actually was a very difficult time in your life and how you kind of hit a place of rock bottom, but that you, by, by doing so, that's the best place to be to kind of build back. And I just wanted to talk to you about that and say, you know, 
what what were the things that helped you kind of move back and particularly before you turned 40 as well you know what what how did you navigate that time probably quite inelegantly <laughs> if you were looking at it in real time I think I had always thought I was fighting a fight that no one else thought and actually I've talked about this a lot over the years and it's kind of always felt in my head it kind of felt like I've got to push through everything's a bit harder for me than it is for everybody else and I don't know whether that kind of seed was born because I did have that really difficult those sort of inelegant teenage years and so I felt like people got it easier but I guess I'm trying to rewrite that in my head because I just don't think that that's the reality but in my head I definitely felt like I was it was always a little bit harder for me or I was always a bit poorer than all of my friends I was always a bit less well put together I just always felt like the runt of the litter sort of (laughs) socially and in work and everything like that, even when I had landed my dream job, I, I felt undeserving of it in the weirdest of ways. And I think what happened when I was about 37 is every single part of my life was rubbish. <laughs> and I went freelance and it wasn't what I was expecting, but equally I hadn't really thought about what it should look like. I just thought that it would be fine and it wasn't. So that was like, Oh my God. Socially. I, uh, I realized that because of how I was and low self-esteem had meant that I had always kind of been attracted to quite, uh, dominating personalities. And there was a part of me that sort of began to feel like, um, as being bullied even by the people closest to me. Um, so there were sort of every part of my life, I just thought there's nowhere, there's nowhere where I feel any, any, any joy. There's nothing, I don't feel good about any of it. How the hell did I get here? And I think the best thing was, uh, I spoke to a friend of mine, Marcia, who had been okay with me. I was there 10 years, nine and a half years. She was there eight and a half years. And um, so we we kind of grew up together and we've got like we've still got those trauma bonds. We have the okay nightmares and we call each other up. Um, did you hear the nightmare last night? Yeah, I did. Um, but she's a really magnificent, brilliant, pragmatic woman. And she's one of one of those people who, if you're ever dilly-dallying, you just call Marcia and she's very, very good. And I called her up practically hysterically crying, just saying, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't, I I've completely lost. I remember what it used to be like walking into okay giving the air of being confident but I'm like I don't I can't I I don't know where she is she's gone and she said okay what you need to do is you need to step away from work you need to take some time off and you need to like this is bad you need to ask for some help and really that was what it was so it was actually accepting yes this is terrible you feel depressed you're highly anxious. And because I had been pushing it all to the side for such a long time, it had really built up. So I was really, by the time it kind of hit rock bottom, I did have a mental health assessment and it was severe depression and severe anxiety with a sprinkling of OCD thrown in for good measure. And I started therapy, but also I just, I just let go of everything. And that sounds really counterintuitive, but I was holding on to things so tightly and so desperately like it has to look like this. It has to be like this. And I just thought, just let go. Because it hasn't ever looked the way that you want it to look, even when it's looked great. So just let go of it all and just start again. And I had absolutely no money. And I was, I don't know how I survived that period financially. I mean, barely 
barely just thank goodness um but it was it was about admitting yeah I'm not happy and I want things to change and I know that's not going to happen overnight but if I can give myself if I can just believe that this time next year I will feel better than I do today then it's worth putting in the effort even if it's only one percent better because I feel so bad now (laughs) well it's that thing of looking in the mirror isn't it and looking and staring at the ugly truth Mm. and just going okay I have to wipe the veneer off, veneer off here and really look. And like you say, take accountability as well and go, you know, if you, you were saying before about blaming situations, blaming other things, kind of putting responsibility on other things. And we have to shift that focus back to ourselves. And I think it's a bit of a rite of passage for women going through their 30s to their 40s. It's, you know, that that childish kind of, it's your fault, it's you, it's, it's your, you did it, not me. And that rite of passage that, you know, you kind of go through that says, actually, what is my fault? What can I take ownership of? Because once you have the ownership, then you can do something about it. So that's important, isn't it? Totally. And the thing is, it was it was all my fault. Because even even though I could say, oh, I felt like I was bullied in friendships, like I was I was in those friendships. So I like all I can control is my part in it. And I, I I'm glad that you said that about I think a lot of women go through it because I think the thing, the mistake I made was thinking that this was just what was happening to me. And not because I was special in some way, but because I was such a loser that everyone else was avoiding this kind of these pitfalls. And it was just me who kept falling into them. Like that's how badly I felt about myself. And I do think it's important to say that we're all sort of going through it in our own ways which is why when I've talked about it before I've thought I've thought oh god I I think I thought it was like I said it was as though I was fighting constantly a battle with the world but you wouldn't you couldn't see it from the outside because it really just did exist in my head so again need to be accountable for that and realize that actually this is this is a, a, a sort of global issue that loads of people encounter it was not special to little old me <laughs> but it, but it's hard when you, it's in your head and it's hard especially when you've gone through a period of anxiety or depression where things your your brain is playing tricks on you and you know you are being fooled into thinking certain things about yourself to challenge that and to challenge those internal intrusive thoughts is a difficulty and like you say with therapy that's kind of what it's there for is to help you unpick that but there was something else you said as well that was um a piece of advice that you would give which is a uh, you're on your own kid and yeah. I loved that because I love Taylor Swift, right? And I loved Swifties, like, new album. And there's that song where she said, you're on your own, kid. You always have been. And I, whenever I have it on in the car, it probably makes me cry. I'm like, oh. Well, it's one, so of true. My, one of my very best friends in the whole wide world is Lindsay Kelk, the best-selling author. And if you haven't got her books, you must read them. She's a very, very talented lady. And I went to Vegas uh, to with Lindsay. She lives in LA. We went to go and see Taylor Swift on the third night of the Eras tour. But when that album came out, when, uh, which one was it now? Was it Midnight's came out? And it has that song on it, You're On Your Own Kid. I've said that so much on the podcast. I rang Lindsay and I was like, I'm not even kidding. Do you like, did Taylor get this from me? And she was like, no, Emma. <laughs> But I was, but I just thought how that's the, that's the motto I came up with in therapy, which is, and it sounds really depressing. You're on your own kid, but actually it's really, I found it really empowering because it meant that I just stopped spending 
energy on expecting external help or expecting somebody or expecting something to work in my favor. It's like, you, you've got to do it. You're on your own. You've got to figure this out. And actually, funnily enough, I was uh, talking to Trini Woodall the other day and we were talking about, um, we were talking about um, like knowing that you could take a risk because you've got something there to catch you. And she was talking about various other things. I was like, but you're the net. You're the thing that's going to catch you. And she was like, oh yeah, yeah, maybe. (laughs) But I think it's really empowering to realize that you're, I'm never going to let myself fall if I can help it, now that I know that I'm on my own kid. But before, I think I was expecting some sort of magical buffer to always catch me. And one of the biggest shifts was, no, no, it's you. So you have to make sure you've got all of the skills, all of the things that you need so that if you make that decision and do that thing, if it does go wrong, or if it doesn't go the way that you want, you're gonna be there and you're gonna be like, it's fine, let's move on. You're the net. You're on your own, kid. But honestly, I I totally get that. And like I was saying, like it, you you bet on yourself, but you have to have confidence in the first place in yourself. So you, there's a lot of like unpacking, a lot of work to do to kind of go. Actually, I can survive because, as you said, you won't let yourself kind of go further do you know what I mean when you've gone to rock bottom it's you can't let yourself go further so it's it's about building back and about going you trust your own instincts you start to trust your own decisions you break away from you know I know we've all got friends but you kind of break away from the whatsapp group that's like what do you think everybody everybody what shall I do about this you start going actually as a maturing woman I've got the information, I've got the wisdom, I can trust me. But again, it's such a messy journey to go through. But, you know, we, the better, the more we talk about it, the better. It, it is a really messy journey. And I think the best thing is that is to tell people it's not linear. And sometimes you'll have really crappy days. But I, funnily enough, again, on the podcast recently, I was talking to Dr. Nicola Perra, the holistic psychologist, and she's been on the show before. And we, we've spoken a lot about mental health. And I was saying how... Some I actually don't mind a bad day these days, even though they can sometimes take me by surprise. You can sort of wake up and you're sort of metaphorically speaking, you got out the wrong side of the bed. And even this morning, everything that I tried to do failed. So I got up, I was trying to schedule some content. My apps kept crashing. Then I put some under eye uh, moisturizer things on, under eye eye patches to like lift my and moisturize my under eye area. And one of them fell off and fell on the floor and it was a really expensive eye patch. And I, I'm, I'm, I believe in the five second rule, but not when it comes to eye patches in the kitchen floor. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just was like, okay, stop. So I just put everything down and I sat down. I was like, I'm just going to have an espresso, take some deep breaths and move forward. And I, what I like is basically what I'm trying to say is that a bad day doesn't bother me now because a bad day is just a bad day. I can regulate within that 24 hour period. And even if the dark thoughts seep in and they get me for a day, they don't get me for much longer. Um, and if they ever do, if I ever think, I had a spell in the at the end of the summer when I was a bit, I was like, well, I can't shake this. This is, this is bothering me. So I just kind of, I've got the tools now because you do, you have to build the emotional toolkit to be able to be the net for yourself and to catch yourself. But um, the great thing is being able to see it in the distance coming at you because you can head it off. But when it's already on top of you, which is the sort of position I found myself in a few years ago, 
you, it, it takes a lot of strength to fight it off. And I think the one thing I would say is, I remember a friend saying to me, who I hadn't seen in a while, about, I don't know, a couple of months ago, she said, you know, a few years ago, you used to come to things and you're always looking over my shoulder as if you were looking for the someone better or you always seem really distracted. And now it's like, you're just so easy breezy. And I just, and I said to her, if you knew the Herculean effort it had taken for me to come out that day. And I wasn't looking over your shoulder to see someone better. I was, I was terrified. I was watching the door because I constantly, my nervous system constantly thought that it was under attack. I was really jumpy and probably needed to like sleep for a day after I came out that time. It took so much effort. Now I'm standing in front of you. I'm on autopilot, <laughs> truth be told. Like it doesn't feel like that much of an effort, but when someone is really, really struggling and they still show up, you have to hand it to them because some of the, on those really dark days to get out of the house can feel like you are carrying the weight of another human being, a dead weight on your back. And then you turn up and put throw a smile on at a party or turn up at work and still perform. My God, you have to celebrate those people who are going through it and still manage. Absolutely. And, and, and like you were saying before, you know, what, Sometimes like I've been really anxious in the past, which was one of the reasons I started my podcast was to try and navigate with other people how to overcome that anxiety. And that used to be me, you know, I'd have to go to events or I'd have to show up on set. But the reason I did those things was because it was still intrinsic to who I was. And it was the last remaining little bit of me that I could, that's how I did it. Because I was like, if I don't do that, then I really don't know who I am anymore. It's the, it's my comfort blanket in a weird way. Do you think is that kind of the same thing for you? That because you've grown up in that world which was, um, you know, glamorous, and you had to be there, and you had to meet those deadlines. I guess so. I think I'm also quite perfor- performance driven, and also I I respond to other people's expectations. But I also so I will go and do things if I think it will please other people. Or if I think it will look a certain way to other people, I think, again, for me, one of the things was sort of tuning into what I think is like my expectations rather than constantly living by someone else's standards, which is what I was doing. What will they think of that about this? What would this say about me? I was always asking the outside world for who I was, what I meant, what my value was. I never once asked myself until I really hit rock bottom. So, yeah, I suppose I suppose it it was something that. Yeah, I thought if I, well, there's also this quote, I remember very distinctly during that period of time, RuPaul and Michelle Visage used to publish a podcast called What's the Tea? And I love that show so much. They don't do it anymore, but Ru has been through his own mental health issues. And so has Michelle. And Michelle's been on the podcast, actually, we've talked about it. And he said, at one point there was something he said, and it just stopped me in my tracks. And I just kind of I couldn't even cry. It was one of the most shocking things that ever happened. I just had my earphones in and he just said, you know, we all have an internal saboteur and the internal saboteur is trying to get you alone so it can kill you. And I realized I was slowly, particularly in freelancing, it allowed me to do this because I didn't have to go into an office all the time. I was slowly, very, very slowly absenting myself from life, spending much more time alone, not going out. And, that, and my saboteur was winning. And so, but what was the ultimate win? I mean, I wasn't going to let that happen. So I was like, right, we're going to push against this. But realizing that actually that whole kind of withdrawal, whilst on the one hand, it makes you feel really safe. Social withdrawal does make you feel really safe, but actually it's quite dangerous. So 
I yeah I, I that was when I thought okay this this is actually this this is quite treacherous this feels quite upsetting and bad and I don't want to I don't want to be isolated by an internal saboteur and that's the thing is that the, the switch within you the, the whatever it was kind of to jolt you kind of forward your own net you know you again you catching yourself before you had that that way to fall you kind of moved forward with it and then you know obviously from that time you've you did build yourself back up and then you created this incredible podcast which you know is a, a global success how how has that been for you how do you feel about that now and like do you feel kind of quite free and do you feel um because I was going to ask you you like what is the secret ingredient to podcasting for, from your point of view it's so interesting because um, well, how long has the capsule been going? The capsule been going uh, four years now. Four years, yeah. So that's actually so. Mine's been going seven this year. So it's. I think that part of the secret sauce is timing. So you got in before a lot of people. I got in before a lot of people, and I think as well, like in the beauty space magazine editors magazine beauty editors were sort of the queens for such a long time then all of a sudden we started hearing rumblings about people on youtube and bloggers and we were like oh we'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) nothing will shake the foundations of print media well i think you'll find that digital will my friends so i sort of was very aware for a while of people like my friends sam and nick who started pixie we were on youtube people like my friend caroline hirons who has a prolific blog and uh, YouTube. And bef- I mean, before she's gone on to do the amazing things that she's doing now with her brand, Skin Rocks. But so I was very aware of uh, one of the one of the secrets to their success and their success has been incredible and very well deserved was timing. And I was listening to podcasts when I was going through that really terrible time in my life. And I was channeling conversations I was deliberately tuning into conversations with people who were successful because Tim Ferriss says on his show you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with now as I've already said I was socially withdrawing so who who am I going to spend time with so I was spending time with Tim Ferriss and his incredible guests and there's there's something to be said for that I do think it sort of rubs off on you and then when you start talking about things some of their vocabulary comes out or some of their thoughts and feelings have become your own And so I thought, God, I'd really like to do that because one of the things about freelancing is I never really, with OK, I got to interview people and I really, really enjoyed that. And the beauty pages were great fun to do, but I never really got to delve into beauty. I got to put pictures in, write the name of the product and the price and with with whatever character count was left, try and fit in something about the product. But you could never be fully accurate because you were so limited on what you could say, Um, just, just in terms of space. And so I'd never really built those muscles up of talking about beauty editorially in a way that I probably would have liked to, which is more like I'm kind of, I'm a punter, I'm a consumer who has access to great information. And so that's what I wanted to kind of turn it into. And so the podcast was kind of born out of how can I merge my two worlds where one is I want to tap into successful people and successful conversations and be inspiring, but also talk about the beauty industry. So that's how it started, just interviewing founders and then it's evolved from there. But I do think I do think the secret sauce is timing. I think being ahead of the sort of big crowd, particularly in the UK, was really vital for me. But I think one of the things is that I'm very, very lucky in that a lot of people found me early on and have really stuck with me and I'm so grateful for that. There, I mean, 
there are people who've been listening since day dot and I can't I was thinking this the podcast is eight in April 2024 which means that we're coming up for the podcast having run nearly as long as my longest job which is okay and the idea of people sticking with me from episode one all the way to now and potentially to then actually gives me goosebumps but that's what I mean is you should be so proud of that success and you know that achievement but do you think as well that part of that is because well, you're enjoying it and you feel like you've the control element. As a, as a podcaster myself, I love being able to discuss what I want to talk about. Like like you said, you know, really getting to delve into things and really being able to share proper information with people that you think really need it. Do you think that that's an element of it is that because of your enjoyment, that the success of the longevity of it, that's part of it? I hope so. I would hope so. I think I've also tried a lot on the show. Like I did a couple of series, year long series about habits. So in 2018, I did a series called 26 Habits, where every two weeks I would make or break a habit. And it would be things like giving up coffee. Never. Um, But like what happens if you give up coffee for two weeks? Well, the main takeaway is you save quite a bit of money Um, and things like um, what else did I do during those habits? Like, oh, I had a complete wardrobe cleanse where I did this thing where you have to whittle down your wardrobe to just 33 items. And that was game changing because actually I never put back in the other things. I just sold them or donated them. So that was really fascinating. So all of these little things, I think things that we often think about, I wonder what would happen if I tried that, but then sort of the build up to it's too much effort. So the habit series have been really successful. And I sort of took that onto Instagram and a couple of years ago I was like I can't do a press up I'm going to do a press up I'm going to do a press up so just every day I would just be like I'm doing this version of a press up today and then by I think it was eight weeks later seven eight weeks later I was able to do a press up and I can still do press ups to this day um so I like to think that and people have said to me that the fact that they started with me and even though I might not have been saying hey guys I'm really struggling and I can barely get out of bed they've sort of they have felt the the journey of the confidence growing and even on Instagram, for example, I've had, I've, uh, I don't know the right vocabulary to say this. I was about to say what I've always said, which is I've really struggled with my weight. I haven't struggled with my weight. I have been overweight for a really long time and now have lost weight. And that as well, that visual, that very visible change in me has elicited a lot of uh, positive and negative response. So I do think perhaps that because there has been an obvious journey of my own maybe people that's what people are tapping into yeah and and I think and I don't know if you found this I never thought I'd be as honest as I am as a podcaster I was like every week is like therapy (laughs) like every different person that comes in I either cry or I find something out and I do think that this medium allows you to be more authentic and allows you to come across more as yourself and if you've been you know like um think trying to live up to other people's expectations all the time or you know being a people pleaser this and gathering your own tribe that follows you just the way you are is quite a freeing experience isn't it Totally. And I I completely agree with you. And actually, a couple of years ago, somebody said to me, I've listened to your podcast for ages. I also follow you on Instagram. They're two different people entirely. I was like, what? What? What do you mean? And she said, on the podcast, it's you. 
You are so honest. I don't think you hold back anything. On Instagram, you are much more reserved. You do. You are nowhere near as honest. And it's true. It's absolutely true. You're completely right. You and I are having this conversation now. And whoever's listening to this with us, we're having a very private person experience with you because it's just the three of us. Yeah. Or whoever else might be in the car. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's just us. It's just us. And I think... I think it's like, you know, when you're just having a conversation with friends and you you know someone's earwigging, the energy of the conversation changes a little bit because you know you've got an audience. I do think with podcasting, it's actually, it's sort of the other way. It becomes even more personal. I don't know, I, but I agree with you. I think the amount of times I've had people on the podcast, particularly mental health professionals, like psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever, and halfway through, I've had to go, not to make this my own personal therapy session <laughs> because it's so hard not to not to tap them up for something that's relevant to your own experience well it is hard isn't it or like you know I sit there kind of going right okay I'll take this away with me okay everybody do you remember that bit because again it allows you to kind of explore things um personally and I like what you were saying before about you know starting a journey and then following it through there's an accountability to it you know going back to what we said earlier and once you've set yourself like okay we're going to try this you know whether it's a series or whether it's a challenge you do have that accountability to then show up for your audience and to go through that with them and I know that you've built an incredible forum as well that relates to the podcast and have taken you know some rough with some smooth commentary about whether it's about weight or again ozempic or other things like that but do you you know we were you prepared for that like to to actually have to kind of answer those kind of questions or do how does it make you feel when you might get negative comments this is such an interesting thing because no because of the intention with which i put out my content i i I don't even consider somebody, particularly on the podcast, I don't consider a negative response. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit, sort of put this into context. So when I worked on the magazine, we worked a lot with people who we, who we made cover stars, for example, or who were extremely famous. And so we put them on the cover every week, whether we made them a cover star or not is like open to debate. But what would often happen with those people, particularly when they were being so open and they would do at homes or they would do their weddings and then they would do baby bump shoot and then they do baby shoot and then they do another baby bump shoot. And you know, we, we were in their lives before reality TV really picked up before social media. So it really was, um, the sort of the main place where you would find out about these people and they would ride this incredible wave of success. And I can think of two people in particular, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, who would be on the cover all the time and absolutely loved it. And then inevitably, and this isn't just characteristic of the British tabloid press. This is characteristic of all global media, but the UK get the, the brunt of the sort of criticism is that the tide turns. It's like, we'll, 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 we will let you enjoy your lovely engagement and your marriage and everything, but we are sorry, it's time for you to be torn down. And there were a couple of people who reacted to it very, very badly in that they started to sort of almost pick a fight with the press they would almost pick a fight with the people who were criticizing them and they would do things to get a response or they would say things to try. And it was a bit like when you see playground bullying and you see the person who gets bullied and they try and fight back. And you're like, oh, just, just walk away, just walk away. The best way to make this end is to walk away. So I think why that relates to my social media is that because of the intention with which I put out my content, 
it didn't occur to me necessarily that somebody, particularly when it's really raw and honest, that somebody would say something negative. But what I've definitely noticed is that you have to be really careful how you respond because the the instinct is to do what those cover stars, some of those cover stars did, which is to start getting gnarly or to start getting, to start pushing back. And actually, and I have done that a couple of times in the early days, you sort of think, screw you. Like, or you try to explain to them how they've missed the point, or you try to explain to them what your real intention was, or perhaps they could look at it from this perspective. And I think, I don't know if you've had this, Natalie, but I think the best thing is just to kind of leave them to it. Because you're never, they have taken a position of wanting to disagree with you. And you're, and that probably feels quite good for them. And you're not going to get them to see your point of view. So why engage? But then that becomes really difficult because you you do want to engage with people. But I think you have to sort of make a judgment call and just say, you're entitled to your opinion. I wind you up. I bother you. You, Some people you look at, let's face it, you just think, I don't like you. Take one look at them and you know you don't like them. Maybe that's what's happened here, in which case I I, I will take myself out of this dynamic. And if they want to continue, fine, I'll mute them or restrict them or whatever. Um, but it, 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 it is funny. And when people sort of say things like that I'm on Ozempic, which I'm categorically not, I've overcome an eating disorder and I work very, very hard every day to not slip back into old habits. Um, I sort of, I just sort of laugh and think, well, I know that makes you, it would make you feel better if my weight loss success, just sort of being very superficial about it for some reason it would make you feel better if I hadn't earned it yeah and that's a you problem that's not a me problem I do think that that's completely um that is the way that I look at things is I've been very fortunate not to have a lot of negativity um but again I think it's because I've never engaged with it. So I think when you do engage, you nine, the, the people that are going to gun for you see that and then they do things to try and trigger you to respond. So when I have had ne- negative comments on my feed, um, I haven't responded because I think I did once many, many, many years ago. I think it was even right at the start of like my Instagram kind of journey. And it was when my little boy was quite little. And you know, as a, as a mum, you want to defend yourself. But then I quickly learned that those people saw that they got attention and that kind of made other people go, well, if I do that and I slam the, then I'll get a response. So I just thought, you know what, actually, and I've been very lucky, you know, I came through kind of from kids TV and then into ITV and you get schooled in kind of how to kind of deal with the media and deal with people and and I just thought the best thing for me to do as you said is just to step away from it and go well actually this is your fight it's not really mine I'm just going to just step back and you'll make your own conclusion about me I'm just going to keep doing what I need to do because as you say otherwise it becomes a tirade and it also kind of encourages other people to jump on a bandwagon and if you react badly like I know kind the kinds of people that you were talking about earlier you just it ends up getting worse and then you get more negativity and and it just perpetuates then so yeah I think it's 
it's a difficult one to navigate though, isn't it? And especially when you're trying to do something good and you're trying to like share information or just be honest and, um, you know, you kind of get beaten down for it. It is very difficult to do that. Um, but again, moving kind of towards your go-tos for wellness and your favorite beauty products, what would you say right now are the things that you turn to and that you go, yeah, 100%, I would recommend that to everyone? Let me think. Well, the CeraVe gel cleanser is the greatest cleanser, potentially one of the greatest cleansers of all time, because A, it's affordable. B, it's in a pump action, which is my favorite kind of, I can't, like Caroline has launched an amazing cleanser in her Skin Rocks cleanser, but I have already said to her, please just put it into a one liter pump action. It is so good that I like really functional things in the bathroom. I also like things that are inexpensive, but do the job. And uh, for me, CeraVe is just so simple, does the job. And I think it's like $12.99 for 500 mil. And so it just, it lasts for ages. And then if you like, if you do like three squirts instead of two, you don't feel like you're being extravagant. <laughs> like, oh God. It, there's nothing worse. And I think as, a, as someone who's been a beauty writer for a really long time now, your perception of the value of juice in these products gets warped because... I'm not going into the shop and spending my hard-earned money on it. And I always come back to that. And I always come back to, would I spend my own money on this? Because if I wouldn't, I've got no business talking about it. That's that, that's sort of my benchmark. And I do think that there are so many incredible products out there now that are so affordable. For example, my nighttime skincare has been for the last three years. We, obviously, I test things. So I... I will go through periods where I'm testing things. But the thing that I always come back to is skin and me. It's 19 pounds and 99 pence per month. You send in pictures, they assess it. There's a team of dermatologists and they've got people who dispense the product. So they assess your pictures based on your needs and wants. Then they put together a specific formulation for you and it comes to you in, a, in the post. And it's an eco-friendly delivery system. If it's through any letterbox, and it's so inexpensive. And my God, my skin has changed. And considering I started using it in my early 40s, my skin is in great nick. I was very lucky. I had a facial with Michaela Boulder the other day. Hashtag the Boulder method. I don't know if you know who Michaela is. <laughs> Michaela does the most incredible facial massages, but it's sort of simultaneously painful and wonderful and almost transcendental at the same time <laughs> because she massages... Uh, cranial muscles she takes that she will go in at your jaw muscles she gets right in under your cheek fat and under the eyebrows and there are all these pockets that you don't realize because it's your face they are full of tension and then she starts manipulating them and you're like oh she's like don't fight me don't she <laughs> I filmed it and there's a bit where she's working on my um chest top of my chest and I had done, I'd done chest day like two days before. And, she, and on the video, I could just see her go, don't fight me. And she's just, <laughs> just pushing as hard as she can. But it was singularly one of the best experiences I've ever had. And she said to me, um, when she was looking at my skin, she said, your skin is, is in great nick. What are you using? And I thought, well, I know that it has responded very, very well to that prescription level skincare that's in skin in me. And it's, it's 20 pounds a month. Dosage. You don't have to worry about dosage. It's just one click. You know exactly what you're using. There's no waste. I just think that for me is genius. And it's such an investment as well, your skin. Like it's such an investment. You, years and years ago when I worked on the beauty counters, I always used to think, it. you know, these creams, it's 
could be like 30 pence a day or something. And, you know, when you actually break it down and if you've got great skin, then you don't need loads of makeup. You don't need kind of loads of anything on your skin because really that will glow. And, you know, as you just said, then people, I was, I was looking at your skin going, God, her skin's amazing. <laughs> like, I was like, she hadn't got a ring light or anything on her. She looks incredible. So what yeah, What counters did you work well. on? I worked for Lancome and I worked for Chanel. <gasps> okay. Um, do you, which one do you love more? Do you have a favourite out of Lancome and Chanel? I do love Chanel. My mum still works for Chanel. Yeah. So my mum, my mum is one of the uh, top kind of managers up here in the north. Uh, she does a very good job, bless her. Uh, oh, so, yeah. okay. Okay. So what's your favourite Chanel product? Oh God, I'm using, uh, which is expensive, but it was a gift from my mum, uh, the Sublimage La Creme, kind of the thing, oh. yeah. And it is amazing. I love that. And I love as well the the cleanser as well, the Hydra Beauty cleanser. I love that. Um, Do you know, I've never used the Chanel skincare. I've always just gone to them for makeup. I've never, so for, for me, Soleil de Tan, absolutely yeah. beautiful product. yes. But I thought, I don't know, I still have this thing of, because I wouldn't, because I wouldn't go and buy it. Because I, I probably, I don't ever use it. I always, when I used to get the really expensive stuff into the magazine, I just give them to the other, the other um, team members, like the other feature writers. I'd be like, oh, do you want the Chanel stuff? I'd always feel a little bit like, I can't use that because it's too nice. Well, the thing is, is I never used to use it. And now I've got older. I'm like, mom, I need that stuff. So my mum's very good, bless her. Um, she kind of helps me out a bit because no, you're right. It is it is very expensive, but I will give it to them. It does work. And I yeah. do really, really love it. And, you know, for me personally, I found it has changed my skin. Like I've been getting quite a lot of pigmentation and the, the cream has definitely like eased that out an awful lot more than anything else I've ever used um but yeah and, and then I'm a big fragrance fan so I've always loved their fragrances so that's one of my key things as well I have two supplementary questions so first is um favorite long con product Ooh, um it's, it's gonna be a mascara isn't it I was gonna say it's either the mascara but there's no there's a lipstick but I can't remember the the number of it but it's like a it's like a rose colored lipstick and it's a kind of a, it's not matte, it's a semi-matte kind of, what's it? It's like, I can't remember what it is now, but I remember when it was launched years and years and years ago, it was launched in the same same year as the Juicy Tubes, because that was the same time that I was working for oh, them. was that 90s? Like, like 97, 98 or something. Yeah. Juicy Tubes are making day. a comeback. I know, and- it's hilarious, <laughs> but like, I literally, I had one, Um, I, I'd gone and got some stuff and, got like you know when you get like a gift bag because you've been you've shopped somewhere yeah. and you get a bit of everything um and I had this juicy tube and I was like oh my god and I gave it to my niece <laughs> I was like I used to have this you'll love this she's like wow these are on TikTok <laughs> wait until your hair gets caught in it <laughs> yes oh my god and you can't like and there was there was another stuff oh yes what SPF are you wearing because if you've got pigmentation SPF 50. yeah no 50 all the time yeah. I have to otherwise I well my skin would burn anyway but 50 <laughs> yeah I love this this has now turned into <laughs> like a different kind of chat um, no, I'm all for it <laughs> what was one of your favorite lipsticks because I saw that you've been looking at lots of different lipsticks recently like the black honey and there's been a few others and I was laughing at the um just me and my friend the other day at the Rimmel Heather Shimmer and we were just going down that kind of road of like what were our favorite products what were your favorite products like when you were growing up well again so my my sort of teenage 
products were all problem solvers because my skin was so bad. Um, and actually I used to wear my mum's foundation and I'm mixed race and my mother is not. <laughs> so so I was always wearing very pale, uh, pale foundations. And she, I think, pretty much exclusively wore number seven. Because back in the so 80s and 90s, number seven was great makeup that was really yeah. accessible compared to everything else. Um, but I think it's funny that series with the lipsticks because I had lunch with the PR for Rimmel and we were talking about how perception of brands changes over time. So if you remember Rimmel a few years ago, they had Kate Moss as an ambassador. Yeah. She did all the adverts and it was like Rimmel London. They had Georgia May Jagger and it was kind of achingly cool. And then I guess I've aged out of the Rimmel demographic by a huge amount because they've now signed Maya, Jam- Maya Jammer. Is that yeah. See, I don't even know how to say her name because I'm that old now and irrelevant that the, the people who are currently hip or whatever, I just wouldn't recognize. And I said, oh, God, I really think you should um, you should lean into the nostalgia of Rimmel, because I remember those 99p lipsticks yes. that you had to push up with the little knobble. <laughs> the click. <laughs> the click that was how you got Heather Shimmer, because you, it was a tiny little thing and the, the packaging would crack in your school bag. But you would be able to push this little lipstick up and and get like a good amount of Heather Shimmer. But then I think it was $4.99 for the middle size. And then it was like $5.99 or $6.99 for the one with the like silver ring in the middle, like the proper lipstick. And I said, look, I'm going to come. We had um, Joe and the Juice, Spicy Tuna, uh, right by their offices. And I said, look, I'm just going to come up and I'm going to go into the cupboard, which is one of the greatest places you can go with any brands. Like, I'm going into the cupboard because they also, Coty, who own Rimmel, also look after Kylie. So I was like, right, I am in. You cannot get rid of me. <laughs> so I finally left with a with a Kylie lip kit. And I said, but I, w- I went into the Rimmel drawer and I took Heather Shimmer, Coffee Shimmer and Amethyst Shimmer. And I said, I'm just going to do a little a fun thing on Instagram and let's see what happens. Well, it is the post that I have put the least amount of thought into in my 10 plus years on social media. It is the most watched thing I have ever done. It's had over half a million views on TikTok. I love and it has it. had over 250,000 on Instagram. And all it is is me at the beginning with my hand over yeah. my mouth saying, You'll be able to tell if you're a child of the 90s, you will know the second I remove my hand, what lipstick I am wearing. And then I take my hand away and the comments, the engagement, everything. So I was like, right. So that's how social media works. The least amount of time and effort you put into a post, the best engagement you get. And that's what you do. But it is just that nostalgia, though, isn't it? I mean, I was looking at a picture the other day there and it was quite a recent picture. And I realised my lip line was really dark. And I was like, oh, wow, am I doing that again now? Am I doing the brown lip liner and the slightly, uh, you know, kind of more filled in lip? And then for years, remember, we did that thing where we put concealer all across our lips to make our lips look bigger. And then it was all brown eyeshadow on the years of like the craft and Neve Campbell was in Scream and they all wore dark lip, like that dark brown kind of, you know, the 90s. It's, yeah. But it's the nostalgia of it. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Well, it's MAC Spice Lip Liner. Everybody wanted MAC Spice Lip Liner. But there's an incredible makeup artist on Instagram called, well, she's on Instagram and TikTok called Erin Parsons. And what she does is she sources discontinued makeup or she finds vintage makeup it her feed is absolutely phenomenal and I tried spice recently and I was like this is like orangey and I always thought spice was quite cool in many in more ways than one but cool toned and she did this brilliant post where she said I found it this is the packaging from the 90s this is max spice this is an original and this is current day let's test them together and the formulation has changed the color is fundamentally different the new version of spice is warmer 
And the original version is a much cooler, almost gray toned brown. So I was like, got on the keyboard to Mac. I was like, I think you should bring back the old formulation and you should call it Old Spice. <gasps> oh, that is very good. Yes, I would love that. And then the Spice Girls should get together and they should market it. And they were, that would be massive. Just all the spices, just bring all the spices together because, but I do, but I do think there is something so nostalgic. And I, I, would, I, would, I would also say, Heather Shimmer is definitely a different colour. I remember it being much more silvery. Yeah. It is quite aggressively purple now. And so I would, yeah, I when I when you if you go and look at that post and I take my hand away, if you remember Heather Shimmer as being quite a sort of silvery, silvery. hint of purple. No, it is like it is a I was just gonna see if it's in my drawer in front of me. It's not. It is a bombastic purple now with a silver sort of uh sheen. That would not have worked in the two become no, one video. No. no, it would not. With, you know, your pigtails and whatever else and that nice 90s kind of lighting. <laughs> it would have been different. Just basically it was all arc lights, wasn't it? It was just, just bleach everyone out, wash everyone out. Every single photo shoot was just like, let's just put so much light on the people that you can't see their noses. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. I definitely do. But I remember looking at pictures going, oh, wow, I look really good. <laughs> like, look at me, look at my skin. Oh, Emma, it has been an absolute joy to talk to you today. Honestly, (laughs) I feel like we've gone down memory lane and we've had our little group therapy and it's been such a fantastic chat. Same time next week. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's definitely do this again. Um, Thank you, though. Thank you for your time. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. It's really lovely to chat to you. And thank you guys at home for being with us. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope, you know, you need to send in and tell us all about your greatest memories of your nostalgic makeup or memories of the 90s. Get involved and come and chat with us. You can find Emma on her Instagram at Emma Guns or stream and download her brilliant podcast, The Emma Guns Show on YouTube, Apple and Spotify. For more well-being and lifestyle, you can visit us at our website, www.capsule.co.uk, where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by streaming from any of our podcast channels and youtube as always please do feel free to leave your rates and reviews i would love to hear from you as this series goes on you can also drop us a message at our instagram at official capsule if you'd like to put any questions to our future guests or leave any messages about any previous or current episodes i'll be back next week with another very special guest so all that's left for us to say today is goodbye so goodbye emma goodbye thanks for having me And goodbye from me. Bye-bye.